not like we quite need to abbreviate everything around here, but if we were to, it would be KRVN-MD for KRVN Midday. Along with DS, that's Dave Schroeder, BJB, that's right me, here. TC, Tyler Cavalli, and we'll hear from DN here in just a few moments. And of course, SL joining us live, and well, not in studio, but joining us live through the wonders of modern technology. How are things in Susan Littlefield's life? Uh, it's b- beautiful outside today. What a great day. They're chopping corn nearby, so the air smells amazing. That's good. And, Susan, I know that uh, you were busier in a bird dog yesterday getting HHD at KRVN all set up. So talk to us a little bit about that. And then uh, I understand, of course, we always hear, we don't always hear, but we hear many times from Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts, and we've heard many times from Iowa Governor. We're also going to hear about something from the Colorado Governor coming up for a newsmaker. You bet. i got to give a shout-out to Shaley Peters, Beth Rogers, myself. Of course, Jim helped by removing electrical stuff for us. But you will notice some really cool changes happening at Husker Harvest Days when you stop by to uh, visit us next week. But I'll tell you, the power of three women who had an idea to get something done in one day, and by God, we did it. So I'm not going to say any more. You'll have to come check it out and see for yourself. If you remember uh, last week, Colorado's governor recently made some big waves as he talked about They're pursuing a meatless options and alternatives, actually bringing meatless options to the Colorado Department of Agriculture luncheon. Well, we're going to find out more about what this is all about with Clay Patton at 1245. Step back to 1219. Alex steps in about Teach Ag Ambassadors. We'll find out more about that. And then Shaley Peters comes in on mob grazing. I don't think it has anything to do with criminals. We'll find out more at 117. We'll look forward to it. Susan Littlefield, many thanks, and keep up the good work. Thanks so much. Tyler Cavalli joining us, talking a little bit about sports. Yeah, that's right. Of course, uh, Nebraska and Colorado, they got uh, things ready for this weekend, and we'll hear from the coaches on that. Former Husker Divina Zigbo was waived by New Orleans on Saturday, but it did be claimed off waivers by the Jacksonville Jaguars, so that is positive news. Nice to see some Huskers in the NFL making the team roster there as a third running back, and also former wide receiver and Stanley Morgan Jr. is among those signed to the Cincinnati Bengals practice squad on Sunday. And as our own Jason Jorgensen is on the bus right now as they're heading down to Missouri as UNK football opens up the season against Missouri Southern. Have you ever been waived and then claimed off waivers? Uh, I have not yet, but I'm still young in my career, so we'll see. I was once, but you it was were? a high school girlfriend, and I didn't like her anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Dave Schroeder, what are we talking about for uh, uh, financials today? We're going to be able to retire sometime soon? Possibly, possibly. You know what, I just got to thinking, too, with the uh, Husker game at uh, Boulder this week. You, know, you always see a lot of the uh, eastbound traffic on football Saturdays, right. and uh, we'll see a lot of westbound uh, Husker uh, faithful on Friday and, and Saturday. But uh, speaking of financial outlooks, you know, the Union Pacific Railroad is kind of like a bellwether of uh, how the overall economy is going, and they've put out a report on uh, what's going to happen, they think, in the second half of the coming year. And uh, it's kind of predictable is what you might hear. And then also, too, uh, we just uh, heard a little bit that there's going to be a, another trade mission happening uh, from Nebraska. Uh, and uh, nothing of official yet, yeah. but yes, uh, the governor will be holding a news conference uh, later this week on that. We will have all of that and more for you coming up on Midday. Susan, Clay, Shaley, Tyler, Dave, and more. And, of course, here's Dewey coming up. Strict. 
Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network, and I'm on the phone with Miranda Horning. She was just named a 2019-2020 National Teach Ag Ambassador back in July. First of all, Miranda, congratulations, because there were only 14 students selected for this nationwide, so that's incredible. So tell us, before we get too into this, what the National Teach Ag Ambassador Program is all about. So the National Teach Ag Ambassador Program focuses on improving the education for future ag teachers and also recruiting ag teachers. Um, the program is founded in Lexington, Kentucky, and it focuses on reaching out to potential kids in high school or future kids, you know, that are starting college. And it really shows them all the opportunities that are available to them through agriculture education, whether that's teaching or leadership or communication, but it gives all different opportunities to everybody in the program. So tell us what your responsibilities are within this ambassador program. Sure. So personally, uh, in October for National FFA Convention, I teach Ag Ambassador. 14 of us, we will be there all week and we run the Teach Ag booth. So for that, we connect with FFA students that are there for convention and we really connect them to the program, to possibilities in ag education and to any resources that might be available to them from the schools we come from or from the program itself. Also, another responsibility we have is to educate in our own state. So there are two of us from Nebraska that are represented. And so for us, we will go out to local high school programs and talk about agriculture education and and those possibilities that I've been mentioning. And we'll also do this at the college level. As you were applying for this program, what sort of goals did you have in mind for, for what you wanted to achieve? Personally, my goals really started at the foundation of how I came to realize Ag Ed was my passion. I knew always teaching was something I was very interested in, but didn't know until I took ag classes that I was interested in agriculture. And so for me, my goal in the, through this program, through being an ambassador, is to really educate others that agriculture has more opportunities than just farming. And so really, my goal, my main goal through this program is to educate everybody about all the different pathways and careers that come from agriculture. Miranda, tell me about your background in agriculture and how you figured out that ag education was your calling. So I grew up in a really small town just north of Lincoln called Davie, and we lived in town. I wasn't a farm kid, and so I really wasn't exposed to agriculture until my seventh grade year when I was enrolled in an intro to agriculture course. And it sounds cliche, but the first day of that class, something clicked with me, and I absolutely loved everything about what I was learning. So from then on, you know, I joined FSA, and I took more ag classes, and each contest I participated in and class I took really engaged me and, um, you know, ignited that passion for agriculture. And so that's where my personal passion came from. Um, And now I'm currently an agriculture education major at UNL, so I'm using that passion to become an FSA advisor and ag teacher. And what motivated you to enter this National Teach Ag Ambassador program? So last year, a different student from UNL participated in this program and could not stop talking about all the amazing opportunities and connections she made through it. Um, and she spoke to our agriculture education club at UNL. And after hearing her response and looking into the program more, I really thought that this would be a great way to use my passion for agriculture and my passion for education, combine the two, and be able to serve on a larger, larger platform nationally for our state. Well, congratulations again, and thanks so much for joining us. That was Miranda Hornig. She's a sophomore at UNL studying ag education, and she was recently named one of only 14 students across the country to serve as a National Teach Ag Ambassador. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
Time for a check of your midday sports headlines. And to do it, here's Tyler. Hey, thanks, Brandon. Well, after a ball-hawking game that created five turnovers, the Nebraska defense is now preparing to face a potent offensive attack with Colorado in Boulder. Nebraska defensive coordinator Eric Chenander says one fear going into the game is not knowing what a new coaching staff will do. You got one game of work. You can look back at some of the other places the coordinator was at and see what they do, but you got a little, only a small body of work to work with. And then obviously, I think LaVisca Chenault probably is or the top wide receiver in the country. I think Steven Montez is a really good quarterback that's got a lot of experience. I and mean, they also got a couple other receivers that can make it work. So I think their personnel is a concern. And then not knowing exactly what to get ready for is a second concern. Now the Huskers dropped one notch to 25th in the AP rankings and debuted as 25th in the coaches' poll. Kickoff Saturday is set for 2.30 p.m. Central. Pre-game to post-game coverage here on KRVN starts at 11.30. Switching to high school football, the Elwood Pirates got their season off to a fantastic start last week as they beat Arapahoe 48-8. On the heels of a tough 1-7 season, head coach Patrick Roper says that's exactly what the Pirates needed. It was a, a, a good night for us. It's a good uh, feeling for our kids, um, giving them some confidence. You know, going into the season, we probably didn't have the results we wanted to last year, but we played really well. Our defense showed up, and, and that's kind of what kept us in the game in that first half. So it, it's got to be a confidence booster for our kids going down the road. Now the Pirates return seven starters on both sides of the ball, and Ropers feel the material is there to have a very good year. We have a lot of skill guys back from last year. Um, the Shots kid, the Evans kid, um, the Rios kid, and, and some others um, can do really good things for us, I think, this year. It's just, can we get our front three and front five to kind of commit to those positions and say, hey, we can be really good if we want to, and and make these guys look good, and I think we kind of saw some a little bit of that on Friday night. This week, the Pirates look to go 2-0 and on the season as they host Medicine Valley, who did not play last week. Switching to the NFL, a person with knowledge of the deal says the Dallas Cowboys have reached an agreement on a $90 million six-year contract extension that will now make Ezekiel Elliott the highest-paid running back in the NFL and will end a holdout that lasted the entire preseason. The person tells the Associated Press that Elliott, who has two years remaining on his current contract, will get $50 million guaranteed. And finally, Rafael Nadal will try to make sure the U.S. Open has one member of the Big Three in the semifinals. With both Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic out of the tournament, Nadal is the only major champion left on the men's side as he faces number 20 Diego Schwartzman tonight. Number 13, Gael Monfils of France, and number 24, Matteo Berrettini, meet in the other quarterfinal. Now, the women's quarterfinal matchups are number 13, Belinda Bensitz, against number 23, Donna Vekic, and 15, seeded Bianca Andriscu, against number 25, Elise Martins. Martins is the only one of the four who has been beyond this stage of a Grand Slam. That is your latest sports update. I'm Tyler Cavalli, and for more, visit our website at krvn.com. More video is coming. Nebraska health officials are investigating several cases of severe pulmonary disease linked to smoking e-cigarettes or vaping. The State Health and Human Services Department said that health care providers should report suspected cases to local health departments or to state authorities. Last week, federal centers for disease control and prevention officials said they're looking at 215 possible cases across 25 states. All the cases involve teens or adults who have used e-cigarettes or other vaping devices. 
Symptoms include coughing, shortness of breath, chest pain, fatigue, nausea, and vomiting. The officials say many of the reports involve e-cigarette products that contain THC, the mind-altering substance in marijuana. Health officials have said some vaping products contain potentially harmful substances, including flavoring chemicals and oils used for vaping marijuana. A federal judge has rejected a good Samaritan defense sought by a Nebraska man accused of conspiracy to harbor people living in the country illegally. The attorney for John Good of O'Neill says in a legal brief that his client lived out the lesson of the Good Samaritan parable in his dealings with a couple who managed his restaurant in O'Neill. Prosecution motion says the practice of Christianity doesn't provide a constitutional shield to conspiring to harbor aliens. In a ruling against Good, U.S. District Judge John Gerard noted an appellate court decision that barred a man accused of distributing heroin from arguing that the free exercise of his religion required him to do it. Good's trial is scheduled to begin September 16th. Kansas's Republican state treasurer has abandoned a campaign for an open U.S. Senate seat to challenge a first-term GOP congressman he describes as vulnerable to Democratic defeat. Treasurer Jake LaTurner says Representative Steve Watkins isn't likely to win re-election. LaTurner's announcement comes little more than a week after former Governor Jeff Collier called on him to run for the eastern Kansas seat that Watkins narrowly won last year. Residents of Georgia's largest public beach are scrambling to fortify low-lying homes as Hurricane Dorian approaches. Debbie and Tony Pagan stack their beds and couches atop other furniture and cover their doors with plastic wrap and sandbags this morning before evacuating Tybee Island east of Savannah. The hurricane is moving parallel to the east coast. At least, at least seven deaths have been reported in the Bahamas from Dorian with the full scope of the disaster still unknown. Reporting on the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. Introducing 880KRVN on 98.5 FM in the Grand Island and Aurora area. Colorado's governor making it interesting for ag producers. We're going to get the full story by a reporter that has been in-depth in the situation in eastern Colorado and western Colorado, kind of getting the full one. She earned her for producers at the Colorado State Fair. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. And Governor Polis, Colorado's governor, recently at a Colorado Department of Ag meeting proposed meatless options and how the department might promote that. So it has caused a stir among the ag community, but it Versus me trying to explain what happened, we go to someone who's well-versed in the subject, and that is assistant editor of the Fence Post magazine, that is Rachel Gable. Rachel, thanks for being able to join us. I guess the best place to start is just kind of talk to us, what was Governor Polis after at the CDA meeting? Thanks for having me, Clay. Governor Polis met with the all the department uh, employees a couple, I don't know, a couple weeks ago now, and asked them... Uh, no, no direction, no directives per se, but ask them to kind of look toward how they can help uh, Colorado producers be um, at the ready and to take advantage of some of the new alternatives, the plant-based alternatives that are coming up on the market, like the Impossible Whopper. And he actually bought Impossible Whoppers for the staff. There were kind of mixed feelings when I'm hearing from the Department of Ag employees, but of course the cattle industry felt very much like it was under attack. Jerry Sonnenberg from Sterling, who's a, a producer and a good friend of a good friend of agriculture in general, said that, you know, this is just a continued war 
on rural Colorado. This is a war on the cattle industry. You know, Governor Polis has not been popular in rural parts of the state, taking aim, it feels like, to some folks on oil and gas and now on the beef industry. The beef industry is Colorado's largest export, billions of dollars. It's a big chunk of Colorado's agriculture. And I think a lot of producers can appreciate that Polis wants Colorado to be on the edge and ready to take hold of market opportunities. Those opportunities, as far as like Colorado produce goes, we're not in a position to grow a lot of those ingredients. We don't grow any soybeans here. We don't grow any bamboo cellulose and we darn sure don't grow any coconut oil so that's kind of where the the producers are i was actually able to sit down with polis a couple days ago while we were both at the colorado state fair while he kind of skirted the questions as i thought he maybe would he's very zeroed in on some specialty ag markets not just the plant-based burgers but like the the prison dairy that milks water buffalo that makes mozzarella cheese well that's an interesting sector of colorado ag the majority of the mozzarella cheese here in Colorado is going to come from the dairies that are that are in great balance as far as production and demand. Laprino, they're in Fort Morgan, and I think as an industry we appreciate that there's niches, but if you look at the big picture, uh, the beef industry is still king. King indeed, and, and you've done your research, and again, Colorado, no different than Nebraska, the beef industry is the number one ag sector there. So right now, I know the, have the livestock associations, they, have they wrote letters, what has been their their path so far in trying to establish that and, and to talk to the general public saying you know, that we are a very important sector of the Colorado ag industry? Absolutely. Colorado Livestock Association, Colorado Cattlemen, and our cast, the new president is Gerald Schreiber our cast president and he's here from from colorado as well and um, they've all sent out some letters and there's a the better with beef saying you know colorado wildlife is better with beef colorado communities are better with beef everything here in colorado when when the beef industry in nebraska as well when the beef industry here is doing well everybody's doing well and so we're, we're trying to really drive that home that, and you know, there's there's room for those plant-based alternatives. I don't think it's appropriate boycott every restaurant that offers one. I think they're just trying to cater to the vegetarian in the back seat who'd like something from the drive-in as well. And I appreciate that they're just trying to make money. And and I think this could very well be a fad, and we don't want to give them too much attention. But on the other hand, we need to protect our our market interests, and we need to do a better job of. It sounds like from talking to Governor Polis the other day that. Traditional ag needs to do a better job of communicating what we do and how well we do it. That we're such a vital part, not only to the Colorado economy, but to the to the safe, wholesome, and affordable uh, food supply that we have worldwide here. I know talking with ag group leaders, whether it be in Nebraska, Colorado, Kansas, really anywhere across the nation, there's always this call to step up, make your voice heard. In a situation like this, has this been a rallying cry to the groups that you've talked with, the farmers and ranchers you've talked with? Are they all wanting to step up and make sure their voice is heard, or or are some still kind of timid and reserved? You know, I think folks have done a good job of stepping up and and talking. It's difficult because there's such a gap here as well between the front range uh, consumers and and producers and that's difficult when you're preaching to the choir it's hard to get your message across certainly all of the trade organizations are reaching across there i believe cca uh, met with him friday or has an upcoming meeting with him and and i expect that this isn't going to go away but as as beef producers as always we need to communicate what we're doing and, and that's difficult i hear myself saying we need to tell our story and we need to communicate what we're doing 
And I can assure you that when I sat down with Governor Polis Friday, <laughs> I'd come straight from the steer barn and was getting ready to go over to watch beef showmanship with my oldest boy. And I, I didn't feel like I did a very good job telling our story because he had his things that he wanted to tell me. And I don't know that, uh, that he, he did a whole lot of hearing of what I was saying, but, uh, it, it, it's a big task that we have. But at the, at the end of the day, we, we produce we don't need any fancy PR. We don't need need all of those things. Beef is king of the proteins because of the sizzle of the grill and because we do a great job. And at the end of the day, I don't think that will change. Again, we've been learning more about Colorado Governor Polis and his meatless auctions he presented to the Colorado Department of Ag as well, the beef producers and livestock producers of the state of Colorado's reaction to that. We've been speaking with assistant editor to the Fence Post, Rachel Gable. Rachel, thank you for your time. When you want the latest in ag news and market information, follow, like, and listen to the Rural Radio Network. It's time for a check of your midday business and live it in studio, Dave Schroeder. And Dave, last time I looked at the Dow Jones Industrial Average, it was up a little bit this afternoon. Is it still there? Indeed it is. Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 215 points right now. NASDAQ up 94 and Standard & Poor's up 27 points. Stocks are moving broadly higher today in midday trading with investors snapping up technology, industrial, and bank stocks. Investors moved away from safe play holdings such as utilities and consumer product makers, which lagged the market. The U.S. trade deficit declined in July, including the gap with China that has been the focus of President Donald Trump's tariffs. The Commerce Department says the gap between the goods and services that U.S. buys and what it sells abroad fell 2.7% in July from June. Union Pacific says it expects to haul less freight in the second half of the year than previously predicted. The Omaha-based railroad said the volume of cars, construction materials, grain, and imported goods it will haul in the second half of the year will likely be down by a mid-single-digit percentage. The analysts surveyed predicted Union Pacific's volume will fall 3.8% in the third quarter alone. The volume of freight that UP and other railroads haul hints at the health of the overall economy. On a, another note today, we see that a federal judge has ordered Anheuser-Busch to stop using packaging that implies Miller Coors Light beers contain corn syrup. The U.S. District Judge granted a preliminary injunction sought by Miller Coors. Bud Light's packaging says no corn syrup in bold letters. The judge says that Anheuser-Busch can use the packaging it had on hand until June 6th until it runs out. The ruling extends a previous injunction issued in May. The judge said said then that Anheuser-Busch should stop mentioning corn syrup in ads without further context. Miller Coors has sued its rival, saying Anheuser-Busch spent as much as $30 million on a false and misleading campaign. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Dave Schroeder. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Shaylee Peters, and I've got Walt Schott here. He is with the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and let's talk about uh, just what exactly mob grazing is and uh, different grazing strategies that you're talking to growers about here and throughout the rest of the year. So um, mob grazing is related to the density with which a 
pasture grazing unit is is uh, stocked and so we have uh, typically at, at normal stocking rates and with continuous grazing or uh, simple rotational grazing systems the stocking density is relatively low and then distribution of grazing is going to be more patchy or non-uniform as we increase the stocking density so as we increase the number of head per unit area or per pasture then the density increases and the distribution of grazing generally increases greatly so that at ultra-high stocking densities, we can actually get a uniform uh, distribution of grazing. And with that, then, most all of the standing uh, vegetation that's uh, present when the cattle move into the pasture or into the grazing unit is either trampled or consumed, and very little is left uh, remaining standing. Um, of course, and the idea, then, with uh, mob grazing is that we can... Is, is more or less twofold is that a higher percent of, of the vegetation that's available is consumed and then a, a uh, the, much of the rest of the standing vegetation then is trampled which then gets the nutrients that are tied up into that standing vegetation back to the soil surface where it can be decomposed uh, converted into mineral nutrients which can then be taken up by the plants again and then the plants can uh, grow relatively uh, rapidly so so with um, mob grazing we should be able to increase or, or the goal is to increase uh, harvest efficiency and to increase the amount of trampled so that nutrient cycling nutrient availability uh, is rapid with that in mind, what sort of situations or operations would most benefit from a mob grazing system? Which sort of operations should maybe stay away from it? So in order to um, attain these ultra-high stocking densities without a lot of moves per day, generally mob grazing is practiced on uh, um, more highly productive rangelands or pasture situations so for instance in nebraska um, when you do see mob grazing it's usually on sub-irrigated meadow or irrigated pasture because the amount of production of forage is very high and so the uh, the animal's consumption rate um, is still high but it isn't going to remove all of the plant material that's available for consumption within minutes or within hours it's going to take take longer because there's more out there so the stocking density can be very high but if forage production is very high then you don't need to move um, as frequently um, so upland areas semi-arid areas aren't so good for mob grazing because there's less forage available available a very high stocking density of animals will consume all the forage and fairly short period of time. So we, we tend to think mob grazing most appropriate for um, high producing areas and also these high production areas like sub-irrigated meadows that are degraded. Walt Shot, our guest today, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Corn finishes lower today, soybeans and wheat higher. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. We're joined by John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. 
After reaching a 14-year low in Kansas City wheat futures today, we rebounded. But uh, I think soybeans take the story today, especially against uh, more contract lows in corn. Yeah, you got you got to be impressed with soybeans. And I don't know if it's just the, the belief that the corn crop is there and, and the lack of faith in, in the weather here with, with soybeans still, I guess, under threat. It's, it's September, so we should have some sort of idea of what, what the crop looks like. But those pot-setting numbers are really low. And, um, you know, I mean, we, we need to finish well to, to get the yields. I think the USDA has. So uh, one thing I will note, I, I don't think they've heard a lot of selling going on. I think the producer's still holding on to a big bulk of, of supply here. So I would be early if you, if you need to move them by Octa 31st, if you can get them out of the field by then. Um, I think I'd be, be looking to price on a run to the, the high 890s, $9. I just don't think you want to hold it and gamble that uh, there's going to be a trade deal in the next two months. If there is, you'll be wrong, but I would say you'll be wrong once, and then it'll kind of reset everything for the for the coming season so i think i'd be willing to take that risk uh, just given the fact that that feed grains can't get out of their own way uh, other oil seeds like cotton and, and soybean meal are lower um, as well um, but uh, that said all that's been digested and, and soybean still sits at, at uh, 875 so that's, i guess that's a pretty good good level soybean meal you mentioned oh a couple weeks back that 300 level would be really nice wouldn't it yeah, it, that, that's been the fight. It's really 290 to 300. It's on, on the, when things get really scary bearish here, that's, that's been the low. So, uh, if you look at meal, we've tested, we're kind of going down and testing that, that May low. Soybeans haven't even come close to it yet. So, I guess if you're, if you're looking for, to follow the meal, you would be selling here. But again, I'd be a little patient. I think the next 30 days are going to provide some sort of upside. The question is coming from where? You know, in the case of corn, it could be a 20 cent rally from, from, 350. In the case of beans, it could be a 25 cent rally from right here. But uh, I wouldn't wouldn't be too long the board. Uh, although I do think right now you're seeing a lot of folks throwing the towel, uh, both on the wheat and the corn side, with with prices simply back to where they were a year ago. We did have a sale of about 451,000 metric tons of soybeans for delivery to Mexico, so that didn't hurt either. Not at all. And I, again, you're going to start to see the bean prices. There was a very nice spread there between uh, between Brazil and and, uh, and the U.S. Um, they, and they've been moving so much products, both soybeans and corn. I think they're going to probably need to ration some supply here, which I think should bring the U.S. some some better demand here as we get into the fourth quarter. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. We might add a challenge to soybean prices. Argentine farmers plan to plant more soybeans versus corn. This is the Rural Radio Network. Howdy folks, this is Rick from Divinity Chrysler, Jeep, Dodge, Ram, and McCook. When you're ready to buy a new vehicle, expect that our hard-working, experienced staff will treat you just like family. Go to DiviniChryslerJeepDodge.com today. And remember, it's not a deal until it's a Divinity deal.